0: Have you ever walked into a room before and forgotten why you're there? I'm going to assume that most of the people here have done that. You know that you had a reason for getting up and walking into that room, but now that you're there, you cannot remember what that purpose was. And in those moments, you start to wonder if this is an indicator of your mind starting to go, and maybe it is. But don't be afraid, you're not alone. Researchers call this the doorway effect. Essentially, what they're telling us is is that our brains connect certain thoughts with a particular space that we're sitting in. So that thought is with that room, but when you get up and you walk into another room, that change of scenery makes that thought pop out of your head and now you can't recall why you're there. And you're left standing in a room, completely having forgotten your place. The text in front of us this morning gives a more serious way that we can forget our place, forget where we are. We can misunderstand the gravity of where we're actually standing, whose presence we are in because our eyes do not readily see it. We live in a world that we believe in because we can see it, right? We can see our surroundings. We can touch things. We can talk to people. And because we can do those things in the world that we live in, it's real to us. It's real. But God's Word presents us with a reality of another world, one that we cannot see. And we cannot touch. But based on what we are told, it is just as real as the world that we live in every day. And it's true, we know very little about it, but it's there. And based on what we are told, it is not far away, it is not out there in the universe, far off in the distance. It actually is very near to us. But because this is how we naturally think, the temptation for us is going to be to live as though we are only interacting with the world that we can see, with the world that we can explain. But the passage we have here in front of us, it confronts us and says, do not forget your place. Do not forget where you are. Because you may be sitting in a material building here in South Buffalo, New York, but you are also standing before a holy God because Jesus has entered into the heavenly places that's what we've been studying here in the book of Hebrews Jesus has gone before us as our pioneer he has shed his blood offered it up in the heavenly throne room the most holy place because he has done that all who trust in him will follow behind him where he now is we will be there with him we're also told in a sense we already are there with him but because we're not touching heaven and handling it with our physical hands we can forget that this is true and act like it is not true but these verses here today are a wake-up call for God's church look at what we're told Hebrews reminds us here in these early verses of a people who stood in the presence of God one day long ago, thousands of years ago now. They stood there at a mountain, a place where they could touch, a place where they could see and they could hear. Israel was brought to Mount Sinai to worship the Lord, but what they encountered that day scared them to death. They were told that this is the place where God will descend upon this mountain, and not even a beast should come to the bottom of it and touch it. And if anything touches this mountain, it will surely die. So they were told to stay back, stay clear, don't get too near. And when they heard that mighty voice of God rain down on them from that mountain in the midst of fire and thunder and lightning and earth-shaking power, they begged that God not speak to them anymore. Even Moses, that man of God, when he saw all of this, said, I tremble with fear. What these people witnessed that day was a spiritual reality, the one true God breaking through into the material world. And he was not putting on a show. This was not for effect. It wasn't like when you walk into a haunted house or something and all those scary noises and real loud just trying to make you afraid. He wasn't creating a false atmosphere that day to get a reaction from the people. This is what it looked like for an unholy people to stand in the presence of a holy God. And it was awe-inspiring, earth-shaking, and it filled these people with terror. And they stood there and they witnessed it with their own eyes and ears. And what the Spirit of God Is doing is telling these more modern biblical people, some 1,500 years after that event, and then us 2,000 years further away from them, that we all stand in the presence of something much more awe inspiring than that. And no, you can't see it with your eyes. And you can't reach out and you can't touch the spiritual with your hands. But you are currently standing in the presence of that same God who shook that mountain. In fact, we're told here that we have come to a greater mountain than those people did. See it there in verse 22. They stood there at Mount Sinai, but where do you stand? Listen to what he says You have come to Mount Zion Reality. This is where you are standing right now. He's not saying to us that those people long ago, that they stood in the presence of scary God, and you are standing in the presence of pleasant God, kind of like bad cop, good cop. No, what they saw with limited access on earth, you have stepped right into through the very gates of heaven. And if you think what they saw was real and terrifying on earth when they stood in front of that mountain, when God paid a temporary visit to them, you are not understanding where you currently are. You are in the throne room where God lives. And no, we can't hear the angels' voices, can we? We can't see the multitudes of the heavenly congregation as far as the eye can see out there worshiping Jesus, every tongue, tribe, and nation. Our feet have not touched down on the streets of gold. We fail to grasp the reality of heaven because it is immaterial. It's unseen to us. But it is just as real and even more so real because it is made of eternal stuff. And it is the place where the greatest reality in the universe exists, God Almighty. And so if those people back then were scared when they stood before Mount Sinai, what about those who stand ignorantly or live ignorantly in the midst of Mount Zion? That's what he is telling us here. Do you know your place? Do you know what you have stepped into? Do you know where you currently are right now? It seems there's a kind of play of words here in verse 25. It says, those people back then, they did not want to hear any more of what God had to say at Sinai. And what happened? They eventually, ultimately, did refuse to obey the voice of God that spoke to them on earth. And what happened? They were punished for it. They refused him who was speaking. So, what are we told here? Do not refuse him who speaks to you. How much more should we obey the voice of God who speaks to us from heaven? He spoke to them on earth, scared them to death. What about us when God speaks to us from heaven? What should our response be? Do you act as though he is not speaking? Or to listen with great intent and to do everything that he says. We might think to ourselves, what do you mean? He's speaking to us from heaven. When has he done that? I've not heard any voices. been a good while since we started studying this book together but if we were to remember the first words in the book of Hebrews this is what we would hear long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets that's the way that he used to do it he spoke by his prophets here on earth they communicated the word of God they transferred it to the people But, he says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. We have received a greater word than they did. So we might be wondering, yeah, how did he speak to us from heaven? Well, that's what he's addressing right here, that God the Son came to earth from heaven bringing the message of salvation. He bridged the gap between the heavenly realm and the earthly realm to tell us about repentance and faith and forgiveness. He offered his life on the cross for sinners, and he invites everybody who calls on him for mercy to return with him to the place that he came from, the streets of glory. You and I have been visited by the very Son of God. The Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. And the way this Word is coming to us, it tells us it wasn't just them back then. It wasn't just then. God has visited us, humanity, mankind, people for all ages. He came here to earth. The immaterial became material so that men and women could hear his voice and touch his hands and receive life from another world. It's incredible. And yet millions of people walk around down here as if the only reality that there is is what they can see and touch. And they completely ignore the fact that God has visited us from heaven. Give no thought about it whatsoever. And you understand that, right? You live in this world, and you're out there existing continually amongst all kinds of information, all sorts of voices speaking what they say is truth, and yet none of them ever mention the fact that God became man and that he came to earth to give his life as a ransom for sinners like us. Not one peep out there is said about that truth. Real truth that has eternal consequences. People ignore the fact that Jesus Christ offered up himself as a perfect, spotless lamb. But they don't confess to believe. But we do. We say that we believe he has come and that he has spoken to us And Hebrews is telling us right here, if you believe it, prove it. Do not refuse him who is speaking, meaning he continues to speak. It wasn't just at one point in history. He is speaking today through his very word. It is the Spirit's ongoing witness in this world, the promise of another world still yet to come. God is still speaking right now, and whether you realize it or not by faith, you are standing in His presence. Don't forget your place. It's a striking reality, is it not? There will come a time when the distinction between these two worlds will no longer exist. Those who think only of material things are going to experience the God who comes from heaven. And at one time, we're told, he shook the earth. That day, they stood there at the mountain, and they felt it tremble. And not only the outside world trembled, their hearts trembled inside of them as they witnessed God making a landing here on earth. The day will come when God will return, and we are told he will not just shake the earth. He will shake everything. The heavens will quake. Every planet will quake. Galaxies and galaxies will quake as God returns to his world. We had that little five-second earthquake a few months ago. How many of you all remember that? Woke me up. Shook some stuff off the shelf in one of our rooms. but I've never lived through a real earthquake. Because what happens when a real earthquake comes? Because on the other side of the world that day, a real earthquake touched down, did it not? Shook things. That's what we're being pointed to here. That's what a real earthquake does. What stands then when a massive quake hits? The only things that will remain are those things with a very firm foundation. God is going to come and shake the whole universe in his hand. Matter of fact, on his pinky. It doesn't take anything for God to do that. He's going to shake it all. And the only thing that will remain is his unshakable kingdom, we're told here. Everything's going to get rattled to dust. And the last thing that will remain is all that is eternal. What we're told about right here, that heavenly Mount Zion will remain. It cannot be shaken because it's built from eternal stuff. With the daily routines that you have right now, all these things that we're talking about, they might seem like a fairy tale. It's fitting for this room, but when I get out there and start living again in the world and go through the stuff that I'm going through right now, it just doesn't seem like that is reality, but we need to understand that there is nothing more real and more true and guaranteed than what we are told right here because God is speaking to us. He is making a promise right here of what will come. We have the opportunity today because we have the word of God to live in light of the truth that is being given to us. And praise God that he cares enough about us that he will send his word in this book to wake us up to live for what is most important, for what is eternal. Eternal. How often do you set your mind on eternal things? Our minds are constantly occupied with worldly things, material things, are they not? How often do you put your mind on stuff like this, the things that will last forever? We're given two primary commands in these verses. And I want you to take these to heart. Two primary commands, and then we'll be done. The first one I have already mentioned, we need to take this to heart, that we are not to refuse him who is speaking. Meaning it's very possible, I would say even probable, that there are people who are present in this room today who are refusing to hear his voice. And to hear him starts with believing what God has to say about his son. What do you believe about Jesus? There's a lot being said out there, is there not, about who Jesus was. He was a very good moral teacher. He was upright. He was somebody to be emulated. Wonderful person. Maybe even the best of all people. That's not the witness that we simply get in Scripture, is it not? Jesus claimed to be far more than that, and God's Word tells us that He is. Jesus Christ is the very Son of God who existed always in the heavenly places. There was never a time when Jesus was not. He was simply the Son. And before the world was ever made, the Trinity, the Godhead, decided that the Son of God would come and someday save sinners... It was always a guarantee. It was never plan B. It was always about creating a world where Jesus would rule and reign. And there would come a time when he would enter into flesh like you and I have and step into this world to be the perfect sacrifice for human beings like us that was always known in the mind of God. That's why Christmas, we celebrate Christmas, and I know that it's turned into something else, and I know it's starting to get warm outside. You're not ready to think about the cold and Christmas again, but for just a moment, think about it. The importance of what took place at that time, God and the Son, the Spirit, had all determined that this would be the day when the Word would become flesh. Oh, it was unfolding. He was here. And he came to live the perfect life that you and I could not. Because he knew that we could God desired to give mercy to people like us, fallen, sinful creatures. Not one person in this room is good enough to stand before a holy God on your own. We are told right here what happens when those people do stand before him. Their insides quake and they find out that our God is a consuming fire. And he will not allow the unholy to stand in his presence. How then do we become holy, pure people? The blood of the Lamb. God desired to give mercy to us. His Son came to make that happen. So he lived perfectly. Then he died the death that you and I deserve. In the presence of God saying... Why have you forsaken me? Because sin that day was put upon his back. Your sin was on his back. And he joyfully took the punishment that we deserve so that we do not have to in eternity in a very real place called hell. He suffered hell on the cross so that we don't have to. Do not refuse him who is speaking. And it's not this preacher. It is the word of God. Listen to what he says about his son. Do not listen to what they say. They do not have God's word. He is not just a moral teacher. Not just a good man to be watched and emulated. He is God's son to be received and obeyed as Lord. Because that is who he is. So do not refuse him. And maybe you've come into this room today and this is the first time that you've ever heard it even said like that. Receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. God is speaking And he is telling you that mercy is available. Call on him. He delights to give. And he proved that when he sent his son to the cross. And Jesus has done everything, everything that needs to be done. You need do nothing but call on him and receive the gift of grace others of you here have confessed Jesus as your savior you claim to have heard him in faith and that you now belong to him but you are not living like it and I think that's the kind of thing that the writer of the book of Hebrews seems to be thinking of here this is his concern for a people who aren't living according to their confession he would say, you, you say that you have joyfully entered into the presence of your master, that you love the mountain of God, you love worship, you love the songs, you love all these things to make you feel good. But your life and your decisions, they don't reflect that. Your life looks like you have forgotten your place. That's what he's saying here. If that is you, you need to hear the voice of God today and repent. Do not refuse him who is speaking. Jesus said, If you love me, do what? Keep my commands. You love Christ. Listen to him and do the good that he commands. No matter how hard it is, it will be worth it. It will be worth it. He knows what is best for you. And in the moment, we got all kinds of feelings. we got all kinds of emotions running through us. And we try to make excuses for why my situation is different. It's not. Jesus knows best. He is Lord. He will not lead you astray. And if his word says it, obey Don't refuse him. Because what we're being told right here is that you and I are standing on holy ground. And we just don't realize it. We're standing before the face of God right there in his throne room. He sees me just like I'm looking at Christina right here and Quentin and Carol. He's looking right at us. Don't refuse me, he says. And we go on and on as if he's not even there. He can't see me. But oh, he can. The earth isn't shaking underneath us. Fire is not in the sky. Trumpets are not blowing. And all the people are not cowering in fear. But he is speaking. That same God who Moses described to those people as that consuming fire. He speaks in our presence today in his word. The very word of Christ is visiting you now and you are being told that there is a cleansing blood present in heaven that cries out forgiveness to you. It talks about Abel's blood here. What did Abel's blood do when it cried out from the ground when Cain struck him down? It cried out for vengeance and justice. But not the blood that's there in heaven for us. It speaks peace to everyone who will listen. Are you listening? We get one other primary command and I'll combine all the things that are there just to package it together. This is what he closes with there in chapter 12. and In some ways this is kind of like the close of the book. And I know we got one more chapter to go. There's some more instructions. But like, this is the, the beautiful ending of this story that he is giving to us about where we are going on this journey together. This is what he tells us that we need to do together. Let us give grateful, reverential, awe-filled worship to God. And after all that's been said right here, do you know where you are right now? Do you know what room you have walked into? You are standing where God says that you are. Into that spiritual world. And if we believe that, this will change things. This will change your today. This will change the routine that you have tomorrow. It will change the way that you think about life. Everything you do is in the presence of God if you belong to Jesus. Everything. Always before his sight. And for the Christian, that is not a fearful thing. We delight to be in the presence of our God. What a wonderful thing. And if this truth is solidly in your mind and in your heart, that will lead to a daily worship that is filled with gratitude. Are you grateful this morning for who Jesus Christ is and what he has come to do for you, and that he has ushered you right into the throat room? Come in, friends. In Christ, God is not threatening you with the judgment that you deserve. He is offering to you wonderful, sweet, amazing grace. And What other response could you have but gratitude? That you could be invited to stand alongside the angels and the multitudes of the righteous and the one who brings you to God, Jesus Christ our Savior. It should give us grateful hearts. What could be a response but that? But it shouldn't just change the way you go about your daily routine. It should change the way that you approach our gathering here on Sundays. Look around. Does this look like heaven to you? Not to me either. But as we come and lift up our voices together and receive the word of God together and remember the blood of Jesus together we are confessing that we are heavenly people who are currently gathering in the material world that we can see but all the while what do we know We know that we are also gathering with all of those in the spiritual world that we cannot see. That is what is happening on the Lord's Day every week in this place. And that should add a great deal of weight to what we do here on Sundays. This assembly of worship, it cannot and must not be taken lightly reverence and awe should fill this place week by week we stand right now in the presence of God the judge of all and what does he say about us he declares that we are clean and holy and righteous and good why because of the wonderful blood of his son Jesus So I ask you this morning, do not forget where you are. You belong to Zion. You stand in Zion, right there on the mountaintop. You're already there in spirit, singing in sweet, sweet harmony with the heavenly host. Your voice is being lifted up as we sing these songs here. And you're joining in an anthem that is already going, has been going for all ages, and will continue to go. Forever and ever and ever. That's what we do here every Sunday morning. So brothers and sisters, what else could we do? But what we are told right here, let us then be grateful and offer to God. Uh, Is this even the right word? Acceptable worship? Because acceptable to us is often just good enough. That's not what he's saying here. Worship that fits Where you now stand. Do you know where you are? You're in the presence of the Almighty. You should be singing your guts out when we stand up and sing. And we should do it with reverence and awe. Just like those people who witnessed it with their eyes. We're witnesses to it as well. That's what the Word of God says. And we're going to have an opportunity to do that. So if the worship team could come back up here on the stage, we're going to close with one last song, and it is Holy, Holy, Holy. And who's singing that? The angels are. We're told that. And our voices are going to join in. But before we do that, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reality that you have presented to us in your word. We didn't even know it, but here we are standing right before you. We're worshiping on Mount Zion. Our voices are joining in with all the righteous who have been made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. We stand with the angels, the heavenly hosts, the multitudes of them, and sing with them and praise this God who is holy. We stand before the great God, the judge of all the earth, and you declare us to be your children. How could we not sing to you with gratitude? And I pray, God, that as we close this morning that we will do that understanding where we truly stand that we will not forget our place we ask it in Jesus name Amen